0: Before we pray what i've learned we've all heard that when young people graduate high school and go off to college we lose them to the college but you know it was a real revelation for me to realize and i didn't realize this but a couple of years ago we didn't lose them to college they were gone before that they were already gone and how did it happen it's that parable of jesus sower of the seed that one seed The enemy sowed the seed by the wayside and the birds of the air landed, plucked up the seed and it was stolen out of their heart. We lose the battle in between our two ears and in what we believe. And here's where they're attacked, at their schools, high schools and junior highs and elementary schools. The Word of God, the Bible, is undermined, mocked, ridiculed, attacked, where you feel like, well, if I have an IQ above room temperature. I will not believe the Bible but I want to say that if you've got an IQ above room temperature you should believe the Bible and so I want to just go over this can we trust the Bible and I'm gonna strengthen your faith because we're all under attack our faith is under attack what we believe is under attack and we need to be strengthened and I want you to be able to tell somebody why you believe the Bible is trustworthy and it's the Word of God, so let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible, the Word of God we hold in our hands. Lord, it is so utterly trustworthy because it is your Word. I pray that this message, and next week as well, will be used of God to strengthen our faith, to inform us in a way that we can answer an atheist or an agnostic or a mocker, a critic, that we can answer them intelligently, informatively, successfully, and not be snowed under by the attacks that are coming from the educated and the intellectual and this secular culture. Strengthen us, Lord. Now, will you just pray and say, Lord, speak to me tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, this is going to be good, and you can be seated. Amen. Amen. It was a real revelation. I can remember when it happened for me. I was born into a uh, secular home, a totally secular home, and never went to church, never talked about God, never read about it, never had a Bible laying out, never anything. It It was secular. And I can remember, my dad was an intellectual, and my mother was a real voracious reader but my dad was the intellectual type and he hit me with so many questions when i got saved that i had to dig for answers in a way that maybe we would not normally have to as fast as i did but i had to dig and i can remember the night when just this knowing came over me both intellectually and in my heart that i held in my hand the very word of god this is not a normal book. This is the Word of God, and I'm not committing intellectual suicide to say that. It's provable, and I'm going to show you that tonight. Now, let's look at can we trust our Bible. As we look at the trustworthiness of the Bible, first of all, I want to acknowledge uh, Charlie Campbell, the director of the Always Be Ready Apologetics Ministry for his excellent notes on this, and as always, my favorite commentator, John Phillips, who I read almost every day, just as a devotional, uh, for his always outstanding comments on all things biblical. You want a great commentary on any of the books, go get something from John Phillips. Now, the Bible is the best-selling, most quoted, most published, most circulated, most translated, most influential book in the history of the world. This book, it is. There's not even a close second, not even near. But why should anybody believe that the Bible is actually true? Now, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Here's what our children encounter in school, secular school. Our secular schools have walked away from God. They attack everything biblical. They attack everything that our faith cleaves to and holds to, and so they get questions like this. Why should I believe the Bible is actually true? Why should you? Might not the Bible be a fraud? How can you prove it's the Word of God? Might not it be an ancient book of mythology, right there with Homer and the, the Greek myths, Zeus and Thor and all the rest, filled with the fanciful yet deceitful writings of men? How do you know that it's not in the same category? What makes you think this is any different? What about other books like the Quran? which we're being hit with strong in our day or the book of mormon what about that one what makes the bible any different from those books because they all claim to be the word of god how can you know these are the questions that intelligent critical thinking people are asking today and i want to tell you tonight god never rebukes an honest seeker God can handle a question. There's not a thing wrong with asking questions. I've got questions. There's a couple of them I want to ask him as soon as I get there. I've got a couple of doozies and I want to ask him. Now, they don't mess with my faith, but I have them. God doesn't mind questions. Now, these are the questions that I too have asked from time to time about the Bible. I had to because I was hit with these questions. We need to, as Christians, be able to answer these questions, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, but be always ready to give an answer to those who ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, I'd like to share with you some of the evidence that demonstrates the Bible is indeed what it claims to be. What does it claim to be? Say it with me. The inspired, trustworthy Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it, Genesis to Revelation, the boring genealogies, all of it, is given by inspiration of God. That's what the Bible says about itself. Now the first evidence, let's just look at some evidences for the Bible being the Word of God. In in my opinion, these are irrefutable evidences, particularly this one, fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy is something that sets the Bible apart from every other religious book. I don't care which one you're talking about. You know, there are 26 other religious books that people of faith believe are divinely inspired. 26 others. Listen to some of them. The Vedas for the Hindus. That's their holy scriptures. The Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita for the Hare Krishna's. George Harrison was one of those, of the Beatles. The Quran, of course, of the Muslims, the Book of Mormon, the Tripitaka for the Buddhists. They believe that's a holy text, and it's inspired because of who penned it, their leader, their founder. And they would tell you that's the Word of God. So how in the world can you know that that's the Word of God or not the Word of God, and that we actually hold in our hands the Word of God And other books that claim to be aren't the Word of God. Of these 26 books, none of them, not a single one of them, not the Book of Mormon, not the Quran, contain any specific fulfilled prophecies. Not one. Now the Bible, however, is filled with hundreds of specific detailed prophecies that were written hundreds of years before their fulfillment why does that prove this is the word of god because only god knows the end from the beginning and can tell you what it's going to be the book of revelation already told us how this world is going to be wrapped up only god knows that and if god the god you worship can't do that then he's not god okay now in fact an amazing 27 percent of the bible More than one out of every four verses contains what was predictive prophecy at the time it was written. One out of four verses in here is prophetic. From the God who knows the end from the beginning. And the authors of the Bible did not just predict some vague things like Nostradamus that the NPR, the educational channels are obsessed with. And I want to write them and say, why don't you get Nostradamus off of there? And do a study on the prophecies of the Bible because Nostradamus and Gene Dixon proved to be wrong over and over again but this Bible has never failed the Word of God has never failed what it has said has unbelievably uncannily come to pass the scriptures in this Bible were and are very very specific in what they predict consider some of the more than 100 different and very specific prophecies made concerning the Messiah who the Old Testament prophesied would come. The Old Testament foretold hundreds of years in advance very specific details about, for instance, the Messiah's ancestry, that he'd be born of the seed of Abraham, and I'm giving you the passages up here so you can look them up if you want to, of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, of the house of David, 2 Samuel 7, the city in which he would be born, Bethlehem, Is predicted in Micah 5, verse 2. That he would come while the temple was still standing, Malachi 3, verse 1. That he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. That he would perform miracles, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. That he'd be rejected by his own people, Psalms 118. The precise time in history when he would die was given us in Daniel 9. 483 years after the declaration to reconstruct the city of Jerusalem in 444 B.C., and this was fulfilled to the very year. And I didn't put up here that Psalms 22 predicted he would be crucified, that his hands and feet would be pierced, and there was no crucifixion in David's day. How did he know that? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible also predicted how he would die. There it is, Isaiah, or Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53. And that he would rise from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10. These are just a few of the prophecies related to the coming of the Messiah. And there are many other prophecies about the rise and the fall of nations, the regathering of the Jewish people back into their homeland, something that we are watching and have watched right now since 1948. The Bible predicted the arrival, the appearance of a land to the uttermost north, Russia, when there was no Russia. And you could go all through these amazing prophecies in the Bible. But of the 26 books that people claim are the Word of God, not one of them have even one prophecy that was fulfilled. Our book has one in four prophecies all of which have been fulfilled or are about to be. The fact that these prophecies and hundreds of others have been fulfilled, even though they were spoken hundreds and even thousands of years before their fulfillment, is strong evidence that a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful orchestrated the Bible's completion. This is the Word of God. I can intellectually say amen. I can embrace that and say You know what? Even if I don't believe in God, I can read those prophecies and see that they came to pass. And I've got to answer. I've got to come to some kind of conclusion when I see that proof, that evidence. So say with me, it's the Word of God. The very Word of God. That's why I love it. I love this Bible. Amen? Now, no other religious writing is able to substantiate its claims with this kind of supernatural evidence, not one. Now what about archeological discoveries? May sound kind of boring, but watch this. Archeology span could never prove the Bible is divinely inspired, but it can help build a case for the historical reliability of the Bible. And it has. Now here's where this book is attacked. We're told by liberal scholars, liberal historians, that this Bible is not historically accurate. That it's just a bunch of writings by different people who believed in myths and fables and fairy tales, and you can't trust its historical accuracy. Your kids are told that. They're told that in our schools, and if you do make it into college with your faith, you're going to hear it in college as well. It's not a history book. It can't be relied on. Well, how about this? For the past 150 years, archaeologists have been verifying the exact truthfulness of the Bible's detailed records of various events, customs, persons, cities, nations, and geographical locations. In every instance where the Bible can be or has been checked out archeologically, it has been found to be, how much accurate? 100% accurate in what it said about history. It's reliable. The Bible has proven so accurate that archeologists often refer to it as a reliable guide when they go to dig in new areas. Nelson Gluick, who appeared on the cover of Time Magazine and who is considered one of the greatest archeologists ever wrote these words, quote, no archeological discovery has ever overturned or nullified a biblical reference. Let me read that again. Here's what your Bible, this book, here's how reliable it is. Not one archaeological discovery has ever overturned or nullified a biblical reference. That's from a secular archaeologist. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries this bible's descriptions of things has led archaeologists to discoveries that they would not have known about had the bible not led them to it it tells the truth about history and you know what that tells me it told us the truth about adam and eve about the great flood about jonas being swallowed by a whale it's not a myth it's not a fairy tale it's not brothers Grimm. This Bible has told us the truth about history. So when it tells us that there was a great flood that covered the entire world, do you know that archaeologists now know that's true? And they scoffed at it for centuries? There wasn't Adam and Eve. There was a serpent that slithered up to her and deceived her, the devil speaking through it. There was a Tower of Babel. And when the Babel, Tower of Babel was vexed and cursed by God, The varying languages of the world were spread throughout the world. Man couldn't understand each other, and the one language became many languages. At the Tower of Babel, it's historically true. I know it, because this has been proven true. These are the words of a man, what we just read, the archaeologist, who has been credited with uncovering more than 1,500 ancient sites in the Middle East. That's who told us what we just read. There have been more than 25,000 discoveries within the region known as the Bible lands that have confirmed the truthfulness of the Bible. Archaeology has not proven so helpful for other religious writings. Consider the Book of Mormon. Dave Hunt writes, quote, Not one piece of evidence has ever been found to support the Book of Mormon. Not a trace of the large cities that it talks about. No ruins, no coins, no letters, no documents or monuments, nothing in writing has ever been archaeologically discovered. Not even one of the rivers or mountains or any of the topography it mentions has ever been identified. You know why? Because the Book of Mormon is not the Word of God. And it's not reliable. Nothing which demonstrates that the Book of Mormon is anything other than an early 19th century piece of American fiction invented by Joseph Smith has ever been found. And yet, from this book, thousands of its historical statements have been uncovered. I could have gone on with the Mormon. It gets me. You know, they knock on your door and say, I'd like you to come on into the Mormon church. And I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. Can't we all just get along? Well, if I'm a Christian, why do you need to convert me? That's free. I'm just tossing that out there. But the fact is that the Book of Mormon is from a guy named Joseph Smith who, it's fiction. Now, the Bible's internal consistency. What do I mean by that? That's the third way of 10 in the next two weeks I'm going to go over with you. Five tonight, five next week. But here's the third one. What do we mean when we talk about the Bible's internal consistency? We're talking about the Bible's internal harmony. From the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the last book, Revelation, the Bible is absolutely consistent. Every book agrees with the next. They are a harmony. Now, the skeptic says, well, why is that an evidence of divine origin? There's plenty of books that are internally consistent. Well, that's true. But let's look at several factors that make the consistency of the Bible an amazing evidence of its divine origin. First one, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible consistently addresses life's most controversial questions. How did the universe come into existence? God made it. Does God exist? In the beginning God and if so what is he like what why does man exist what is our purpose for being here these are the major philosophical questions of life why is there evil and why is there suffering in the world what happens to me after I die the Bible is a collection of 66 different documents it might be easy to have harmony of thought in a single book like the Quran It contains the teachings of a single man, Muhammad, of course. And yet there are inconsistencies in the Quran written by one man. But the Bible is not a single book. It's a compilation of books. Hold your Bible up, would you? Let me tell you what you've got here. You've got a library in between two covers. 66 books. It's a library. And it's all divinely inspired. How do we know? Well, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And it was written by approximately how many? 40. Shout that out. 40. Now we're talking about consistency from Genesis to Revelation, yet there were 40 authors used by God to write it. And they all agree, though they never compared notes nor ever worked together. Yet they all agree. You know what the chances of that are? Nil. Many of the Bible's authors came from different educational and cultural backgrounds. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a scholar. Daniel was a prime minister. Asaph was a musician. Matthew was a tax collector. David was a shepherd, then a king. Luke was a historian and a doctor. Yet they all agree. Blue collar, white collar, scholars, common folk amos was a keeper of sheep all the prophets and all the writers had different backgrounds yet they all agree the bible's consistency gets even more amazing when you also consider that the bible was written over a period of approximately 1500 years if we go back 1500 years we're 500 years away from jesus covering some 60 generations. Not only were the authors separated from each other by hundreds of years in time, but many of the authors were separated by hundreds of miles geographically. Many people don't realize this, but the Bible was written in a variety of places on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Catch this. Paul wrote four letters while he was in prison in Rome, located in Italy. The apostle John wrote while a prisoner banished in the Isle of on the Isle of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. The prophet Ezekiel wrote his work while he was being held captive in Babylon. Jeremiah was in a stinky dungeon. Luke wrote while he was traveling. Daniel wrote from a hillside and a palace. Yet, they all agree. If I told Jim to write something tonight, whatever he wanted to, and someone over here to write something and someone back there, or, or put it this way, if I just came right here to Chuck and said, look, uh, I'm going to tell you a story. It's going to take me about one minute, and then I want you to go and tell uh, Letty, and let's just pass it through about 30 people. By the time it got to the 30th person, he would not recognize when they said what they had heard, he would not recognize it from what I told him, because as it goes from person to person, it loses its originality. It loses what was originally told, but these were 40 authors over 1500 years on three different continents never collaborating never collaborating and yet they all agree well what do they agree on oh by the way it was written in three different languages hebrew aramaic and greek in spite of all these different factors we find the bible to be a consistent harmonious perfectly unified account of how God is seeking to reconcile sinners back to Himself through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, they all agree because the Old Testament looks forward to the cross, the New Testament looks backward on the cross, the Old Testament anticipates the cross, the New Testament celebrates the cross, but all of them agreed, all 40 authors agreed. The internal consistency is a miracle. Isn't that powerful? Come on. I can see the wheels turning. But I want you to understand, you can have confidence in this book. You don't ever need to be ashamed of believing this book. You don't ever need to be ashamed to be seen with one of these. This is the most wonderful book on the earth. Now, just for a second, external verification. What do I mean by that? I mean, many people don't know this, but there are dozens of writings outside of the Bible that verify the historical accuracy of many of the names of people, places, and events mentioned in the Bible. In other words, people who did not play a part in authoring this book wrote about facts this Bible talks about in a historical sense. In fact, external sources verify that at least 80 persons were actual historical figures, 50 from the Old Testament and 30 people from the New Testament are verified by external sources, historians and writers who are not involved in authoring this book. Because of things like engravings and statues, we even know what 18, 12 from the Old Testament, and six from the New Testament looked like. We know what 18 of them looked like. Today, the existence of Jesus is hardly even debated within informed scholarly circles. you know why? Because there's over 39 sources outside of the Bible, they cannot deny, that attest to more than 100 facts regarding Jesus' life, his teachings, his crucifixion, His resurrection. One of the ones that anybody that goes into seminary is going to end up getting, and that's Josephus. Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian who was not a Christian, he wrote in in his writings Josephus verifies that Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, Caiaphas, Pontius Pilate, John the Baptist, James the brother of Jesus, Felix, Festus, and even Jesus were all historical figures. Listen to one of Josephus' statements about Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, an unbelieving Jewish historian wrote this, quote: At this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. And his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified to die. And those who had become his disciples reported that he had appeared to them three days after his resurrection and that he was alive. If I don't believe the Bible and I'm a secular historian and I go pick up Josephus and I start reading it, he's going to tell me about a man named Jesus from a historical standpoint who, it was said of his disciples, rose from the dead. Well, see, Secular historians can't deny that. They may want to throw the Bible out. But not only Josephus, but 38 others attest to the reality of a man named Jesus. Now, these are not the words of the Bible or a Christian, but a Roman historian, as I said, writing outside of the pages of Scripture. And now the fifth one and the last one tonight. I love this one. The Bible's amazing scientific accuracy and foresight. Here's the attitude of college professors and secular elites and intellectuals. It's this. Because of the Bible, science was hindered. Because of the Bible and Christians, ignorant backwood Christians, science was hindered by centuries. We were thrown into the dark ages because of Christianity. There is no scientific truth in the Bible. It's a bunch of fables. The only thing we know for sure is what science has shown us. That's what they'll say, and they are dead flat stupidly wrong. Can I be bold tonight? Cuz I get tired of it. I do. I do. Even though the Bible was completed 2000 years ago, long before the invention of the microscope, telescope, satellites, etc., it does not contain, are you ready? Any scientific errors. There's not any. This might be considered a miracle in itself. Why? Well, because without exception, every ancient religious writing has, con- has certain unscientific views of astronomy, medicine, hygiene, and so on. For instance, the Quran says in Surah chapter 18, verse 86, the Quran, Muhammad's writing in the 7th century, says that the sun sets in a muddy spring. Quran 1886 says, quote, When he reached the setting place of the sun, he found it setting in a muddy spring. That's the Quran. Inspired? Not only is the Bible free from scientific er errors, it miraculously makes known numerous accurate scientific facts about the universe thousands of years before modern scientists caught up with it. Watch this. There's lots of them. For time's sake, let me look at a few quick examples. The sun. The sun. In contrast to the Quran, the Bible teaches that the sun is actually on a circuit through space. Writing of the sun in Psalms 19, verse 6. David said, Its rising is from one end of heaven. Now read it with me. And its circuit to the other end. That says the sun is moving. Well, for many years, critics. Took that verse and said, See, the Bible is full of hogwash, claiming that it taught that the sun revolves around the earth. Scientists at that time thought the sun was stationary. However, it's been discovered in recent years that the sun is, in fact, on a circuit through space, just like the Bible says. Did you catch that? Psalms 19 told them what they would discover centuries and centuries and centuries later to be true. And it's circuit to the other end. Now, the shape of the earth. When the rest of the world believed the earth was flat, Isaiah declared that the world was round. Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 22, quote: It is he, God, who sits above the what? Circle of the earth. When did Isaiah write these words? Between 740 and 680 B.C. Okay, catch that. 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was at least 300 years before Aristotle suggested in his book, On the Heavens, that the earth might be a sphere. Isaiah told him way before that. More than 2,000 years later, some people still believe that Christopher Columbus in 1451 was going to sail off the edge of a flat planet in 1492. Another verse that speaks of the shape of the earth is Job 26.10, where it teaches that God has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. And this boundary between light and darkness is where evening and morning occur. The boundary is a circle since the earth is round. Isaiah told us the earth was round. Job told us, the oldest book in the Bible, Job told us the earth was round. And in 1400, two millennia after they wrote, they were still afraid they were going to fall off of a flat earth. It's dependable. I want you to know that. Next time somebody says to you, what's that you got? Oh, it's a a Bible. You read that thing? Read that thing. There's no book like this in the world. It is completely unique. Now, how about the suspension of the earth? Before Isaac Newton discovered gravity, Hindus believed that the earth rested on the back of an elephant who stood on the back of a turtle that was swimming in a great endless sea. They really did believe it. The Greeks believed that the mythical god Atlas, remember Atlas shrugs? The mythical god Atlas carried the earth on his shoulders. They believed that. That's what the Greeks were taught. Myth, myth, Hindu myths, and Greek myths. What did the Bible say? In one of the oldest books in the Bible, Job said in Job 26, verse 7, quote, he, God, hangs the earth on nothing. Scientists did not discover the earth hangs on nothing until 1650 A.D. Say with me, dependable. Can it be trusted? How about the stars? Quickly, we're moving along. Almost done, but this is great. The stars. Before the telescope scope was invented, man was able to number the stars. The Greek astronomer and mathematician, Hipparchus, said there were exactly 1,026 stars. He counted with the naked eye. 1,026 stars. He counted with the naked eye. Can you imagine doing that one night? One, two. I mean, that guy, you've got to give him an A for effort, right? What time was it when he came to number 1,026? The astronomer and the mathematician Ptolemy said there were 1,056 stars. So he found a few more, 30 more than the first guy. The German astronomer Johannes Kepler counted 1,006. He didn't have great eyes because he found even less than they did. But the whole thought of the stars being uncountable was contrary to modern science until the invention of the telescope. When Galileo first pointed his telescope to the heavens in 1608, we discovered there were a lot more stars than anybody ever imagined. But the Bible claimed this all along. How'd they know that? All they could see is what these other guys could see with the naked eye. Jeremiah wrote, quote, The host of heaven, that is the reference to the stars, the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured. Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two. Today, with the help of powerful telescopes and modern satellite photographs, scientists estimate the universe contains approximately 100 billion galaxies containing 200 billion stars each. Those first guys really missed it. (laughs) Now watch this. Carl Sagan, remember old Carl? My dad just thought he hung the moon. Carl Sagan, the world-famous astronomer, said, quote, the total number of stars in the universe is greater than all the grains of sand on all the beaches throughout the entire earth. That's enough stars for every person alive on this planet to personally own around 2 trillion stars each. You are the proud owner of 2 trillion stars. And every person on earth, if they had 2 trillion, you might have. But they're uncountable, just like God said. Dr. Mark Eastman says, quote, Counting at a rate of 10 stars per second, it would take over 100 trillion years. To count the stars. Surely the host of heaven cannot be numbered. How did the authors of the Bible know that the stars were uncountable? That the earth was round? How did they know that it hangs on nothing? They couldn't see it. Were they talking lucky? No. Their flawless accuracy, flawless, rules that out. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.21, here's how they knew. Quote, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit said to Jeremiah, the earth hangs on nothing. Holy Spirit said to Jeremiah, you can't see it, but the stars are uncountable. Holy Spirit said to Job, the earth is round. Holy Spirit said to David, the earth is round. God, who knows all there is to know about the universe he created, superintended the writing of the Bible to make sure that what he wanted written was written. Now you can remember these first five evidences with the acronym. Say it with me. Can we stand together tonight? And here's the acronym. Here they are. F. Fulfilled Prophecy. A. Archaeology. C. Consistency. E. External Verification. And S. Science Faces. Folks, this is the Word of God. It's an amazing book. It's God's book. And I hope you have trust in it and boldness and courage to say, it's my book. Of course I read the Bible. Of course I do. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the unbelievable accuracy of your word. Thank you, Lord God, for fulfilled prophecy. What a testimony. Thank you, Lord God, for the accuracy in science and the facts that are scientific. Thank you that you told us what was there before we discovered it on our own. Thank you, Lord, that that same Bible led us to the foot of the cross and to the blood of Jesus and brought us into salvation. Thank you that if it told the truth about all these other things, it certainly told the truth about the main character in the Bible, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the truth of Jesus is there. So, Lord, it's historically true that you gave your only begotten Son, who was virgin born, died and was and rose again from the dead. And we praise you for it. Can we just lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word? Thank you, Lord.